Welcome to this message from Port Life Church. Our goal is to bring life to the Port community and beyond. And our hope is that this message will inspire and encourage you today. Good morning, everyone. So good to see you all. It's so good to be back in church, isn't it? Um, I was talking with um, Jim and Tracy on welcoming this morning. I'd never thought of it like this before, but I said it's like inviting everyone into my home and like I've had everyone over for dinner and it's just like nice going around and seeing all your guests and meeting everyone. I know that's not quite the same. This isn't just my house. This is all of our houses. This houses? House? Mm. Okay, I'm going to stop with that illustration, but the point is it's great to all have you back home here with us at church this morning. I want to show you a photo this morning of my daughter, Promise, when she was about two years old. Pretty cute, huh? I remember losing her in a shop when she was around this age. Uh, It was probably somewhere like Kmart or Target, you know, one of those places that are just designed to trap you, I swear. Um, I would have been holding her hand, walking through the shop and probably got distracted um, looking at some clothing or something like that, checking a price tag. And then I looked down and she was gone. And the problem with shops like that is the clothing racks are at such a height that it's very hard to see toddlers and it's impossible to know which direction they've gone. And so, you know, I went one way first thinking she must be that way and then she wasn't so I went the other way and then I tried the other way and then the other way and then I'm running through the shop, you know, tears streaming down my face saying, has anyone seen a little girl with blonde hair and a pink top? Has anyone else had that feeling before? It's the worst feeling in the world, isn't it? When you lose a child, someone who is so precious to you and you're like, I just took my eyes away for a second and like that, they're gone. And, you know, I can't remember how long. It was probably only a minute before I found her. But I tell you what, the relief when I found her, when I put my arms around her is just, it's like the best feeling in the world. You go from feeling like the worst possible feeling to the biggest relief when you've got your child in your arms. Today, I want to talk about being lost and being found. And I want to look at three parables or stories that Jesus told about being lost. And these are very famous stories. And so if you've heard them before, don't just switch off. I encourage you as I read through the stories, what I want you to look for is what is similar about the stories and what is different in the stories. And then I'm just going to look at four different things about these stories. I'm not going to read all of the last story. Um, It's got some really great points at the end of it, but I just don't have time to go through it all today. So I encourage you, go back and read in Luke chapter 15, the rest of this story later and see how that applies to the lesson that Jesus is trying to teach. Okay, in Luke chapter 15 from verse 1, it says, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. Now, tax collectors were at the bottom of the social order in the Jewish culture. They were seen as the lowest of the low because they colluded with the Romans and and stole money from their own people. So they were seen as the lowest of the low. So these tax collectors and other notorious sinners, so other people that are at the bottom of the social order, often were coming to hear Jesus teach. It says in verse 2, This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Now, the Pharisees and teachers of religious law were at the top of the social order. Pharisees were a group of people who strove to not just understand the law of God, but follow it as perfectly as possible. And the teachers of the religious law are obviously the people that are going around telling people what God's laws are. So they are highly respected in society and seen as very holy and very good. 
And so they're offended that Jesus, who is also a teacher of the law, that he would associate with such low, sinful people and even go around and eat with them in their homes. Like, what a horrible thing. How could Jesus, who is holy and good, hang out with these horrible sinners? Now, we know that's not Jesus' heart. But instead of rebuking them or justifying his behaviour, Instead, he tells them a story, which I think is probably the greatest rebuke and the greatest conviction, is he tells them these three stories. In verse 4, if a man has a hundred sheep, Jesus said, and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he's found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. When he arrives, he'll call together his friends and neighbours saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Then he goes on to this story in verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbours and say, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. To illustrate the point further, Jesus then told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now to give some context here, if one of my children said, to Josh and I, that, um, you know, they want their share of the inheritance now. It's pretty offensive because it's basically saying I want to be financially funded so I can go and do my own life, my own way without having to live at home with you anymore because I don't want to be under your rule anymore. But even more so, what that would mean in order for us to divide our money between them is we would have to sell our house in order to be able to do that and we would have to then reduce where we were living and what we were living in and the kind of lifestyle that we could have because we would have half of our money gone. So it's a really big, horrible thing that he's asking of his father. But his father agrees to it to do that. A few days later, this younger son packed up all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And he doesn't invest his money. He doesn't spend it wisely getting real estate or uh, investing in wise things. Instead, he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. Keep in mind he's a Jewish man and what that means is they were not permitted to eat uh, pigs. So pigs were seen quite, again, if you're talking about the lowest of the low, they were not, it was a very low job to be working with pigs. Now, he wasn't eating them, so he wasn't doing the wrong thing in that way, but it was very degrading for him as a Jewish man who had lived with wealth with his father to now be feeding pigs, of all things. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to his servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Just that alone tells us he probably had no shoes. Probably the robes he was wearing was dirty, torn, smelly. And so his father's like, let's get him a fresh robe. Let's get him sandals. Let's get him a ring for his finger. And kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So when I look at these three stories, it's very clear from what Jesus is telling at the very beginning and throughout the stories that the coin, the sheep, and the lost son all represent sinners, people who do wrong things. But Jesus wasn't just referring to the tax collectors and the notorious sinners. He was really talking about all of us because all of us are sinners. We all do wrong things. Romans 3.23 says everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. These stories are about all of us. And when I looked at these three different things, the coin, the sheep and the son, I think they represent different types of people and on different journeys. If you think about a coin, the coin must have fallen out of the woman's purse or out of her hand and fallen onto the floor. It hadn't chosen to leave the purse or anything like that. It has just simply fallen. And this to me is a picture of those who don't know God, who don't know anything about God, maybe haven't grown up with any experience of God. You see, God created the world perfect. And he created humans perfect. But we chose to sin. We chose to disobey. And so now everyone who is born is born with sin. Every one of us sins. And that sin separates us from God. We have all fallen away from God, like that coin. Whether we're aware of it or not, that sin has separated us out of God's hand. The sheep is a little bit different. The sheep is part of a flock and it has wandered away from the flock. And to me, this is a bit of a picture of someone who has perhaps known God. Maybe they've grown up in a Christian home or gone to a Christian school or perhaps found God later in life and have become part of a church community and they have known God and God's love. But they've kind of got distracted or afraid and wandered away because that's often the reason why a sheep will wander away from a flock is either because it sees something interesting or there's something that scares it and so it moves away. And so I think that's what the sheep is a picture of, someone who hasn't intentionally left the flock but due to fear or worry or circumstances or destruction has just kind of wandered away from their faith and from God. The son is different again. He was a part of that family. He grew up in that family. He knew the love of his father and no doubt as a child loved his father as well. But as time went on, as he got older, something changed and he wanted independence. He wanted to live life his own way. He didn't want to have to live under his father's rule. Maybe he got angry or offended at things that his father had said for him to do, but for whatever reason, he actively chose to leave. And I think this is a picture of those who perhaps have known God, who have loved God, but have got angry 
either at God or at other people who've been hurt by God or other people in their mind, and they have chosen to actively walk away from their faith. So with those three images in mind, I want to show you four things about these stories. The first one is that each of these could not fulfill their purpose while they were lost. A coin that is on the ground can't be spent. A sheep that has wandered away can't be sheared. A son that is living in a distant city can't contribute to the family farm and the family um, and what they're doing. While they were lost, they also lost their purpose for living. And the same goes for us when we are separated from God, whether we've fallen away just because we're human and we're sinners or whether we've wandered away from the faith or whether we've actively chosen to leave. When we are separated from God, we can't fulfil God's good purpose for our lives. The second thing is that all of these were precious and worth finding. The shepherd had 99 other sheep. The woman had nine other coins. The father had another son who was good and actually did what he was meant to do. But none of them went, well, what I've got is enough. I'm happy with the 99. I'm happy with the nine coins. I'm happy with the one son that is obedient. Each of them said, I want the one that is missing. And they thought they were valuable. They knew that they were precious and they went searching and looking until they found them. God says that we are all valuable and precious to him. I love this verse in 1 Timothy 2.4 that says God wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. And, you know, I hold on to that when I see people who are so um, anti-God or angry at God or so uninterested in God that I know he's not going to go, oh, they're too hard. They're not interested. I'm just going to focus on these ones that want me. He sees every single person in this world and he loves every single person, no matter who they are or what they have done. Each one of them is precious to him. And really, this is the main message that Jesus was giving the Pharisees in telling these stories. He was saying that God loves everyone, not just those who are good, not just those who follow the law. He loves the worst of the worst. And he doesn't just even talk to them in the hope of doing something and and changing their lives. He associates with them. He has meals with them. He spends every bit of time that he can with them to bring them back into relationship with him. The third thing is that the way that they were found, this is where the stories differ, the way that they were found is different. So the coin and the sheep, in both of those cases, we can see that the woman and the shepherd went out and searched for them. So the woman's there sweeping the floor, she's lighting a lamp, she's getting down on her hands and knees, she's looking in all the cracks and crevices and she is searching for that coin. The shepherd, it says, went out into the wilderness, so far away from his other flock, went out where it was far away and went looking everywhere to try and find that sheep. The reason the woman and the shepherd did this is because they couldn't do it for themselves. A coin literally cannot jump back up off the floor and into the purse or into the woman's hand. It's not possible for it to do that. And for a sheep that has wandered away, it doesn't have a GPS. It can't ring someone and say, hey, you know, where am I meant to go? It is lost and literally can't be found. And so the woman and the shepherd had to go looking for them in order to bring them back. And I think it's same, the same with God. 
those who are like the coin, those who have never heard of him, those who don't know who he is, how can they come back into relationship with him if they don't know who he is? And so God has to pursue them. Or those who are like the sheep who have heard about God but have wandered away from the faith, have been distracted and don't know their way back. For those, God has to go after them. And God goes after us and he pursues us by using other Christians, by those of us that know him. He sends us into the world to go and search for those who are lost. He does this through Christians who will share their story, give someone a Bible, invite them to church, tell them about Jesus. And he does it through other means as well. He does it through the testimony that nature is. He does it through music, through books. God will use any and every method that he possibly can to reach out to those who don't know him and those who have wandered away because he loves us and we are precious to him and he will pursue us until he finds us. But the son was a bit different. You see, the son knew the father and he knew the father was good and he knew the father was loving. He might have got angry or frustrated, but when he came to his senses, he knew the truth and he knew that his father hadn't done anything wrong and he knew that his father was good. And the other thing that the son knew was where home was and he knew how to get there. He knew all along how to go home. You see, if the father had gone running after the son, if he'd pursued him in those distant countries, the son probably would have run further away. But the father knew that the son knew how to come home. And so he waited. He waited and watched the road. He waited every day, no doubt praying for the day that his son would come home. But he waited rather than pursued. And I think that's the same with God and us. When we have known our Heavenly Father, when we have loved Him and been in relationship with Him, but then when we have deliberately turned our back on Him and walked away, He doesn't come begging. Instead, He stands there waiting with open arms, saying, come home, come home. You know where to go. I'm right here. All you have to do is call out to me and you'll be home. We have to choose to come home. He won't come and force us. The fourth thing I want to point out is in all of the three stories, there was rejoicing, happiness, a party when they returned home. The sheep was not yelled at. Instead, the shepherd put him around his shoulders. The son was not rejected or told, fine, you can, you know, work as a hired servant, but that's it. You're going to be punished for the rest of your days. In all three stories, a party was thrown every time they came home. You know, I think sometimes people are afraid of coming back to God because they know they've rejected God or they know that they've wandered away and got busy with other things. And they think, if I come back to God, he's going to be annoyed at me and he's going to tell me all the things I've done wrong. But that's not true. When we come back to God, he welcomes us with open arms and throws a party. So how do we return home? It's not about reading the Bible every day or praying for hours or being at church every week, although all of those are great things and they are good things to do. But they don't remove the separation between us and God. 
The only reason we can come home in the first place is because Jesus, the Son of God, came and gave up his life on the cross 2,000 years ago. He paid the price that we deserve for our sin. And by doing so, he made a way for all of us to be forgiven if we come back to him. And so if we want to come home like the Son, we need to humble ourselves and realise that we can't do life on our own. We can't do life our own way. We need to instead repent and return to God. Like the son, we need to come back to Jesus and we need to say, God, I have sinned. I am so sorry. Please forgive me for my sins. Please be my Lord. I want to live my life your way now, not my way. And when we do this, God forgives us, opens his arms, welcomes us home and throws a party. These parables teach us that we can't fulfil our purpose while we're lost, that each and every one of us is precious and worth finding. The way that we are found perhaps is different because God knows what we need. He knows whether he needs us to pursue him or whether he just needs to wait patiently for us to return. But whatever the way we return is there will be rejoicing when we are found. Perhaps some of you here today can relate to the coin. Maybe you're entirely new to this whole thing about God. Maybe you haven't grown up in a Christian home or had those Christian influences and this is all new to you. Perhaps you're here because someone told you about Jesus or gave you a Bible or invited you to church and you've been learning about God and discovering that you are in fact lost. You sense that in your spirit that you are lost. Or maybe today you can relate to the sheep you grew up in a Christian home or you've been part of a church community for a while, but over time you drifted away. You wandered away from your faith. Or maybe you can relate to the Son, that you have known God, that you loved God, and then you chose to walk away from Him. If you can relate to any of these this morning, my challenge to you is this. Please, Don't waste any more time separated from God, missing out on God's good purpose for your life, separated from Him. God is saying, please let me find you. I am waiting, waiting to welcome you home. If that's you this morning and you want to do that, and I really hope you do, because you know, I always pray before I preach, always. And I really felt God told me to share this this morning. And so I believe there are people here today who are lost and who are ready to be found. And if that is you, if God is stirring in your heart and you know it's time to come home, I want to ask you to do something that's going to be pretty challenging. But as an act of faith, as we sing this song, I want you to walk to the front. Because I think especially today, that's very symbolic of getting out of your situation and coming home to Jesus, coming home to Him. Come forward and as we sing the song, tell God that you're sorry for what you've done. Ask Him to be your Lord. Repent and make things right with Him. And then me and some of the other pastors will come and pray for you as the song's ending. But I want to encourage you, don't wait another week. Don't wait another month or another year. Jesus is calling. Please come home. Thanks for listening to this message from Port Life Church. If you have any questions, please email info at portlife.org.au. Have a great day.